We return tonight to our series on the Gospel according to John. We'll be looking at chapter 3 tonight. And so we turn to John chapter 3. We're going to begin reading at verse 23 of chapter 2. And we'll read through verse 13 of chapter 3. And the text tonight will be the first eight verses of John 3. I won't be rereading those verses. So John 2, beginning at verse 23, this is just after Jesus cleansed the temple and his authority was questioned. And then he spoke to them about destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up in verse 19. Then we read this in verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And thus far, we read God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we hear about what it means to be born again. Pray that thou will bless this word so that we would see the necessity of being born again, but also we would see through this the greatness of thy work in salvation. And that we would see again that it's nothing that we do, but it's all thy work and thy work through the Spirit who works in our hearts. So bless the preaching of the gospel to our hearts tonight, 
We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. As we look at this text tonight, there is a very personal and specific question that comes to us. And the question is this, are you born again? It's maybe not a question we talk so much about. And really that's too bad. It's too bad because of what Jesus says here in the text. Except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. You don't see heaven if you're not born again. So the question is extremely important. Are you born again? I said we maybe don't in our church or churches talk that much about a question like this. And I said it's too bad, but then we might ask, well, why don't we ask that question that often? I think there's reasons why. I think it's because, in part, that question has been hijacked. In the mid-1970s, I was reading this past week and came across this, in the mid-1970s, Charles Colson, who is an advisor to President Nixon and one who is involved in the Watergate scandal, wrote a book titled, Born Again. God used what happened at that time to give to him a spiritual rebirth, and that book sold millions of copies, but there was something that came out of that. There was a, a phrase that became part of the culture of our country, and that is speaking of one who is a born-again Christian. That became part of our culture, and really, that kind of phrase, a born-again Christian, is a redundancy. Because there's only one kind of Christian, and it is one who is born again. If you're not born again, you're not a Christian. But again, I think that language at that time and going forward was hijacked in a certain way because an Arminian twist was put on that. And the Arminian twist is, is, did you do something to be born again? Did you accept Jesus Christ? And those two things came hand in hand did you do something was the meaning of that question. And so maybe we shy away from a question like that. When I ask you, are you born again? I'm not asking, did you accept Jesus Christ? I'm not asking, did you do something? I'm asking, did the Holy Spirit do something to you? Are you born again? It's an important question. So important that when anybody comes to make confession of faith, that's a question I ask. Are you born again? Are you regenerated? I usually put it in those terms. Are you regenerated? Not know how to answer that or question that, then the elders should say, no, that's not a confession of faith. Someone who makes confession of faith should know that they are regenerated or born again. Jesus teaches us about being born again in this history with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who is a great leader of the Jews. Nicodemus, who, who comes to Jesus, and it would seem that he comes for right reasons, but the reality was he was blind. And at this point in his life, 
he was not born again. And thus Jesus uses Nicodemus coming to him to explain this doctrine of regeneration or what it is to be born again. So that's what we look at tonight. I know we continued it. We, our series on the book of John has been, Who is Christ Jesus? And now I'm not looking at a name of his, but I'm just taking this very simple theme, born again. We notice first the necessity of it, secondly the explanation or the elements of it, and then finally the experience. As we see the necessity of being born again, that comes out of the words that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, and thus we need to understand something about Nicodemus. At the outset, let's understand that Nicodemus here represents deceived churchgoers. There's no one better to represent deceived churchgoers than Nicodemus. Nicodemus thinks he's a man of faith when he goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, but the Lord Jesus Christ exposes him as one who at this point is not a believer, as one who does not see the kingdom of God. Let me take you through that. And let me begin then by setting before you three things that we discern about Nicodemus from the text. First of all, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. A Pharisee. Although we don't think all that highly of the Pharisees because our Lord Jesus Christ did not think highly of the Pharisees and all of their self-righteous hypocrisy, in Jesus' day, they were the most respected in society and Nicodemus was one of these Pharisees. The Pharisees were highly respected in society of that day because they were the religious conservatives of the day. They were the conservatives who emphasized the law of God and laws that built on the law of God and they said you had to keep the law. The problem was they said that by the keeping of the law and the righteousness of a man in keeping of the law, they could obtain heaven. That was the great error of the Pharisees. There weren't that many of the Pharisees. They estimate about that time there were 6,000 Pharisees in Israel. And Nicodemus was one of these select few. So first of all, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Secondly, on top of that, we read in the text that he was a ruler of the Jews. That means that Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin. That was the ruling body of the Jews. There were 70 of them, including the high priest. And again, Nicodemus was one of these Sanhedrin. The third thing we know about Nicodemus is that he must have been a great scholar. We know that from the fact that he had a Greek name. The name Nicodemus is not a Jewish or a Hebrew name, but a Greek name. In that society... Many, or the children would have Greek, or Hebrew names or Jewish names, but if they had a Greek name, that would indicate that they were part of the upper echelon of society of that day. 
because those who were in the upper classes gave Greek names to their children. Now, this Greek name would indicate that Nicodemus had a Greek education. So not only was he educated as a Pharisee, knowing the law of God frontwards and backwards, but he was a man who had a liberal arts education in that day, so that he could have been considered maybe a a Ph.D. scholar. That was Nicodemus. It's this Nicodemus, Pharisee, member of the Sanhedrin, educated scholar, that comes to Jesus. We read of that in verse 2. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, and what is recorded there. The question that we face here is, why did Nicodemus go to Jesus? The answer to that question was often emphasized as the fact that he went to Jesus at night. And the speculation is, is that Nicodemus went under the cover of darkness because he didn't want his fellow Pharisees, fellow members of the Sanhedrin, to know that he was going to see Jesus. But understand, we're not told that here in the text. There could be other reasons that Nicodemus went at night. It could have been he's busy during the day, he didn't have an opportunity to go see Jesus at night. It could be that this is the only time when he could catch Jesus alone, where he could talk to Jesus. There are many other reasons that he may have gone at night, so I'm not going to emphasize the night part, but instead look at Nicodemus' words to find out why he went. When you focus on the night, the thinking might be that maybe Nicodemus had the beginnings of faith in his heart, that really in humility he was coming to Jesus because he wanted to know how he could be saved and be a follower of Jesus Christ. Is that why he came? No. That's not why he came. That's evident from Nicodemus' words in verse 2 when he says, Rabbi. So when I look at that, well... He shows respect to Jesus. He does. He's saying, teacher, master, teacher. Remember, that's the idea of that name. We looked at that name of our Savior already. So he does show him some respect. But then he goes on, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. What those words indicate is that Nicodemus actually thinks an awful lot of himself and his fellow Pharisees and his fellow rulers. The idea here is, Jesus, we know about you. We've heard about you. We've heard about your teaching. We've heard about your miracles. And thus the miracles that you do indicate that you come from God. Notice He doesn't say they indicate you are God. No, you've you've come from God. And basically what Nicodemus is saying, really in a condescending way, is Jesus, we see your credentials as a great teacher. You're a fellow rabbi. Why don't you come join with us? Join our club of rabbis and teachers. We would be open to that. That's very different than saying... Rabbi, I'm a sinner, and I need you. 
I want to be a follower of you. I want to be a disciple of you. No, basically Nicodemus is coming to Jesus and saying, why don't you come be a disciple of me and my fellow rulers of the Jews? That's the pride with which Nicodemus comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he bases that on miracles. We have terminology for that. Maybe you remember learning in catechism that there are false faiths. They're not true faith. And one of them is a miraculous faith. It's believing something because there's miracles that are attached to it. That's Nicodemus. Doesn't have true faith. He's coming to Jesus because he can't deny the miracles. So that's why he comes to Jesus. Nicodemus here represents, as I said earlier, all those who only know that Jesus is a teacher come from God, but do not know him with a true faith. Nicodemus represents those in the church who are still in the blindness of their sin. You see, a true believer in Jesus Christ does not simply say, oh, Jesus is a great teacher. He's come from God. Maybe I should consider what he says. There are many in the world today who recognize Jesus as a teacher. They know things about his teaching, but they will not say he's the Son of God. They will not say that he is the only Savior. They just look at the miracles and say, well, he did some great things and he taught some great things as well. But you see the danger of that, even, even just following Jesus for the miracles. We read in the scriptures that Satan and those who belong to him, especially in the last days, will perform lying wonders. They will will perform things that look like miracles and people will follow after them. It's not just about that. No, a true believer knows much more than that Jesus is a teacher with some good teachings. A true believer comes to Jesus crying out, God Be merciful to me, a sinner. O Son of God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's not where Nicodemus is at. And so we see and understand what Jesus says to Nicodemus in the context of that. Jesus identifies what Nicodemus and all of God's people need to be saved and to see the kingdom of God. They need to be born Again, notice how Jesus responds to Nicodemus. He doesn't respond by saying, Nicodemus, I'm so thankful that you see my teaching, that that you and the other leaders of the Jews have noticed me. Thank you for welcoming me to your club. I, I would love to join with you and the other Sanhedrin and the other Pharisees as well. No, Jesus doesn't respond in that way. He's not impressed with the credentials of Nicodemus. And he's not impressed with the credentials of Nicodemus because remember what we read at the end of chapter 2. He can see into the hearts of man. Verse 25, And he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew what was in Nicodemus. And so, Jesus Christ rebukes Nicodemus. That's what he's doing here in verse 3. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
He's saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're missing something. Nicodemus, you don't really understand. You don't know what you're talking about. That's quite something to say to Nicodemus with all of his education and his credentials. Jesus directs Nicodemus away from the source of his confidence, his confidence in his position and power and knowledge, and he's saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need something more. And that's what we read there in verse 3. Verily, verily, Nicodemus, truly, truly, Nicodemus, this is what's truth. You think you have it, you don't. This is what is true. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I just want to emphasize that except part of the text at this point. Not getting into all of what it is to be born again. Understanding the necessity of being born again. This is what Nicodemus was missing, and this is what others in the church are missing as well. Knowledge and education do not get one into the kingdom of God. We need to understand that. That doesn't mean knowledge is unimportant. It is. But simply knowing things does not get us into the kingdom of God. Jesus here speaks of seeing the kingdom. What does it mean to see the kingdom? Well, the kingdom of God, of course, in the end is heaven. And so Jesus here is talking about being in heaven one day. And he's talking about what, it, what is needed then to see heaven. But it's more than that. It's, the kingdom is the church here on this earth. It's the invisible church of all of God's elect. And where there is the kingdom, when where there is citizenship in this kingdom, there is not blindness, but there is the eye of faith to see and know what truth is. Nicodemus is blind, but in seeing the kingdom, there, is, there are eyes that are open to see and know heavenly kingdom realities. That Jesus Christ is the king of this kingdom. And that there is a life in this kingdom. And everything we need is found in this kingdom. And so Jesus says about seeing the kingdom then, except or unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The idea is very clear. If you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom. Before seeing the kingdom here on this earth and going to heaven, one must be born again. One must be turned from their spiritual blindness and given eyes to see the kingdom. And there's no exception given. There's no exception given. What Jesus is doing here is showing Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you've got a problem. Your problem is you're not born again. Again, beloved, it's the same problem that you and I have by nature. We're dead in sin. Now those who are born again are not still in that death. They've been delivered from it. But there may be some in the church who still are living in that blindness. They might see a great teacher They might say, oh, I want to sit under the preaching and hear these things. But unless they're born again, 
they cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is emphasizing the necessity of this. Now, understanding that necessity, we should understand what it is to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? Remember, I asked you the question, are you born again? What do we mean when we say that? The doctrine that we're talking about is regeneration. Regeneration. Regeneration, or to be born again, is God's work by the Holy Spirit of making the dead sinner alive. We can add some words to that. It's not just making the dead sinner alive. It's making the dead sinner who is elect and redeemed by Jesus Christ. It's making that dead sinner alive. It's the work of Jesus Christ by His Spirit of implanting into the hearts of the elect redeemed sinner the new life of Jesus Christ. His life. That's what it is to be born again. Now notice a couple of things about this as we look at the very language of the text. So first of all, the text speaks of being born again that can also be translated to be born from above. And so that's going to be the two things really that we need to look at. Jesus here, first of all, is speaking of spiritual rebirth in contrast to physical birth. To be born again implies that there's a first birth. The question is, what is the first birth? Well, our first birth is what we remember on a birthday. That's a way that you kids can understand that too. There's a first birth, our birthday, and then there's a being born again, a spiritual rebirth. But it's not just that we're born into this world, but remember how we are born into this world. David spoke of that in Psalm 51. Conceived and born in sin. We are born into this world dead in sin. Spiritually, we are dead of ourselves. What does that mean to be dead? Well, not physically dead, but spiritually dead. That means we cannot believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot obey God. We cannot do any of this of ourselves. We're like, spiritually, we're like Lazarus after he died and was in the tomb. You remember that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You and I spiritually are like Lazarus when he was in the tomb. He couldn't hear the voice of Jesus Christ until... He was given life in his heart. That means that you and I, without this new birth, are as deaf as a dead body to the voice of Jesus Christ. And we are as blind as a dead body to the things that Jesus Christ reveals without being born again. You and I of ourselves are spiritually blind like Nicodemus. See his blindness here. When Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Remember how Nicodemus responds. Nicodemus, with all of his learning, says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is confused. He's he's thinking, I'm a grown man. How am I going to fit back in my mother's womb and be born a second time? 
Nicodemus was blind. All his education, all his mental abilities aided him nothing at all when it came to spiritual realities. He didn't have a clue what Jesus was saying. He was confused and he was lost. So also we are apart from this spiritual rebirth. The point being, it doesn't matter what abilities of mind and body we have of ourselves. It doesn't matter what power and prestige we have in the world. It doesn't matter what intelligence we have, what talents we have, what IQ level we have. If we're not born again, we cannot see the kingdom of God. Regeneration, or being born again, is a radical and thorough change of heart. It's a radical remaking of us inwardly. It's a thorough change of heart and will. It's the working of God making one who's dead alive. It's the work of God in giving a spiritual heart transplant as we read at the beginning of our worship in Ezekiel 36. Being born again does not remove the old man of sin, but it gives us a new man that fights against that old man and changes the way in which we live. Our confessions help us to understand what it is to be born again. If you look with me at the Canons of Dort, heads three and four, so if you have your Psalter there, you can find that on pages 68 and 69, at least it is that in mine, articles 11 and 12. The Canons, heads 3 and 4, articles 11 and 12. What the Canons is explaining is why it is that some believe the preaching of the Gospel. And we read there, part way down in article 11, about that work of the Holy Spirit. It starts, but, and the Spirit of God is just before that, but by the efficacy of the same regenerating Spirit pervades the inmost recesses of the man. And notice how regeneration is described here. He opens the closed and softens the hardened heart and circumcises that which was uncircumcised, infuses new qualities into the will, which though heretofore dead, he quickens. Quickens means makes alive. From being evil, disobedient, and refractory, he renders it good, obedient, and pliable or bendable actuates and strengthens it that like a good tree it may bring forth the fruits of good actions. And then at the beginning of article 12, and this is the regeneration so highly celebrated in scripture and denominated a new creation, a resurrection from the dead, a making alive which God works in us without our aid. So this is that radical, thorough, inward work of the Holy Spirit in us. That's what it is to be born again. The second thing we understand about this spiritual rebirth is that it is the supernatural work of God and the work of God alone. It's not something we do. It's not something we help God with. It's not even something that we are active in. It is fully and completely the work of God. That's brought out in the text really in three ways. First of all, it's brought out in the very wording, to be born again. Notice first it's in the 
passive. It's in the passive. It's not active that we make ourselves to be born again. No, it's in the passive. We are born again. Something happens to us is the idea. Secondly, it's the point that I made earlier. The word again as part of this word can also mean from above. From above. We are born from above. The idea being is that this is the work of God. It's something that He does. It comes from God Himself. And that's the point that uh, was brought out very early in the Gospel according to John. Verses 12 and 13. Remember when we looked at receiving Jesus Christ. In verse 12 of chapter 1, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We see here Jesus giving that instruction to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. The third way that we see that this is a supernatural work of God and not something we do is from what Jesus says to Nicodemus in response to his question. Remember his question in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus answers, verse 5, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Our Lord Jesus Christ is saying, and now developing it, not only does this come from God, but it's the work of God through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned here. But it brings up another question. What about water? Why does Jesus bring up water here? Is the idea of water baptism? And some would say that. They would equate being born again in baptism. And that at baptism, that's what happens. There's regeneration that takes place at that moment. But that's not at all what Jesus is teaching here. But instead what we find is that in the Old Testament, when water and the Spirit are joined together, as we saw in Ezekiel 36, the idea is cleansing or purification. So in part that speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cleanses and purifies in regeneration. But more than that, what this does is it roots being born again in the cross. So that what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, Nicodemus, not only do you need to be born again by the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, but you need the cleansing, the washing of the blood. You need the cleansing and washing of the cross. You see, regeneration is a blessing of God worked in us by the Spirit but a blessing that is earned for us by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so I believe with water and spirit, what the Lord Jesus Christ is, He brings together the cross and the Holy Spirit saying to Nicodemus, this is what you need. You need the cross, you need washing, you need cleansing, and you need the Spirit. Remember, Jesus is speaking here to a man who knew 
the Old Testament scriptures. He, he was a scholar who studied the Bible. He would have known Ezekiel 36. And now Jesus here speaks of that cleansing and the Spirit. The point that Jesus is making here is that entering into the kingdom is not accomplished by human striving, but by the sovereign supernatural work of God's grace. Just to take you back to the canons again. Article 12 speaks of that also. But this is in no wise affected merely by the external preaching of the gospel, by moral suasion or moral persuasion, or such a mode of operation that after God has performed His part, it still remains in the power of man to be regenerated or not, to be converted or to continue unconverted. But it is evidently a supernatural work most powerful and at the same time most delightful, astonishing, mysterious, and if ineffable. That means unexplainable. Not inferior in efficacy to creation or the resurrection from the dead, as the scripture inspired by the author of this work declares. The point is, this is all the work of God. God, by His Spirit, makes a man to be born again. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't come to Nicodemus with a command. Nicodemus, be born again. That's what you need. You need to be born again. No, he's explaining this is what you need. You need a supernatural work of God, Nicodemus, to be delivered from the blindness of your sin. The point is we have no part in regeneration. We don't cooperate with God in regeneration any more than a baby makes itself in any way to be born into this world. Being born again is not the result of some decision that a man makes, but it's the result of the decision of God from all eternity and the Spirit's work in our hearts based on the cross of Jesus Christ. So we see regeneration as a supernatural work of God. But there's one other thing we have to take notice of as well. This new birth is revealed in our lives by its effects, by its effects. So the question is for us tonight, are you born again? Well, there's another question that follows. How do I know? How do I know if I'm born again? Well, the answer of Jesus is you see the effects. That's the point of verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. With the wind, you cannot see the wind, but you can see what the wind does. Especially that's true when you see pictures of the destruction of hurricanes and tornadoes. You can see what the power of the wind does. Or we can see it even in our lawns sometimes. If you've got one of those trees that has lots of sticks that fall, so that the wind blows and all of a sudden there's all kinds of sticks all over the ground because of the, the wind. You didn't see the wind, but you saw the effect of that wind. So that's true of the work of the Spirit. You can't go on YouTube somewhere and find something that will give a diagram of what's going on on the inside when the Holy Spirit's working in us. 
You can find that about what's going on in your bodies. They have diagrams and all kinds of nice things that you can find about what's going on in the inside even though you can't see it. But you won't find anything about the work of the Spirit and what He does. There's something mysterious about it. How do we know that the Spirit's working? Well, you find that out by seeing the effects of the Spirit's work. What are those effects? Well, if you turn later in Scripture to uh, the book of Ephesians, for example. Ephesians 2. Beautiful chapter about grace. And Paul says there, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, when in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, and the children of disobedience, among whom we also all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And so we understand what that kind of life is like. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. There's a change that takes place. Well, what is that? Well, you go to chapter 4, and then Paul talks about putting off and putting on. One who's not regenerated doesn't put off or put on. But when we're regenerated, this is the effect that it has in our lives. In our lives, constantly, we're struggling against sin, and we're putting it off with repentance from that sin, and turning from that sin, and we're learning to live in obedience to God. Part of that is we know Jesus Christ. We know our redemption. We do not simply, we do not think at all that this work of the Holy Spirit is because of some decision that we've made for Jesus Christ, and then we return to the life that we lived before. That's what so many have done through the history of the church. They've come, they've heard an emotional message, they made a decision for Christ, they were excited about it for a little while, and then they slowly returned to the life that they lived before. Now, where there is new life, there's a desire for God, there's a desire for the Lord Jesus Christ, there's brokenness for sin, because the law is written on our hearts, And we want to keep that law as we live our lives. So how do we know we're born again? We see it. We see that work of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives by the effects of that work of the Spirit. Not only do we see then the the particulars and the elements of this being born again, but the last thing we end on is the experience of this. There are those who don't experience this in the church. Nicodemus, remember, is an example of that. When Jesus spoke these things to him, it was like Jesus was speaking a foreign language to him. He was confused. He didn't understand. What, I have to go back into my mother's womb again and be born a second time into this world? He doesn't understand. There can be those in the church who find themselves in the same boat, really. They do not experience that they are born again because they are not born again. There may be those in the church who are simply going through the motions. Faith doesn't live in their hearts. They're not truly broken for their sins. 
They don't bow before Jesus Christ and confess that he is Savior and Lord, the only one who can save them and their king that they will follow and obey in their lives. Sometimes we come across that in the church. It's sad and it's difficult. Sometimes it's children. Sometimes it's others we've known for a long time. They won't obey the word of God. They won't submit to King Jesus. What do we say to them? Well, in the end, what we have to say to them is, I can't change you, and you can't change you. Jesus Christ calls you to repent and believe, but what you need is the supernatural work of God, the supernatural work of the Spirit. It's not an easy thing to say to someone. But sometimes we need to say that very thing. It's not about you. It's all about Him. And you need to repent and believe. But the Spirit must work that in you. Or we know that there are those who grew up in the church and they're not experiencing these things. Let us pray. Pray for them. The good news is Nicodemus was regenerated later. Remember that Nicodemus was one of those who took down Jesus' body from the cross and buried it with Joseph of Arimathea. God changed his heart. It wasn't changed here, at least that we know of. But God did change his heart. So we pray for this and know that God is able and the Spirit is able to change the hardest of hearts. You and I are living proof of it. But in contrast to that, how wonderful to experience regeneration. How wonderful to experience that. Some experience that in the way of living a life of sin, living dead in sin. Sometimes even those who grew up in the church living in that way. Others who didn't grow up in the church and knew nothing about Christianity and nothing about Jesus. And later in life, the Holy Spirit worked in their hearts and changed them. How wonderful that is. Praise be to God for that. But it's equally true for those who grew up in the church and don't know any different. So sometimes when I ask a young person, well, when were you regenerated? Not only are you regenerated, when were you regenerated? I don't know. I think I always have been. And that's a wonderful thing too. God be praised for that. When we grew up in the church... And we know, not because we grew up in the church, but because the Spirit was working in us, that we know such a new life and a change in life as we've lived our lives. That's a wonderful thing, and praise be to God for that. But now remember the question that we face tonight is, are you born again? Important question. May we experience the blessings of that and the knowledge of that And praise God for what He has worked in our hearts and where there are others who need that, to pray that God would work that in them by His Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy work in our hearts, taking away the blindness of sin, working in us change in our lives. It's all Thy work, and we praise Thee for it as we've heard tonight. But where there are those that we know who need this work of the Spirit, we pray for them. And we ask humbly work in their hearts 
Accomplish thy purpose for the glory of thy name. And may we submit to that. We know we can't change them. We're instruments in thy hands. Thou art a God who must change them. Dismiss us, O Lord, with thy blessing. Bless us in this new week that we may live in the midst of this world as those who are born again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Three hundred ninety.